Hey there, thanks for checking out Discover Church's podcast. This is another bonus episode that is on the Book of Judges Bible study that we're doing. So I apologize for the audio. The microphone is set up so you can hear everything in the room. This is week two where we uh, focus on the first three judges that are talked about in the Book of Judges. Enjoy! Uh, but cool. So, uh, so last week we basically opened up and I, I was really rushing last week to get into any of the book of judges. Uh, cause we basically last week we really delved into the background on how we get to judges. Okay. So judges obviously is an old Testament book and anybody, how many of you probably would say that you, if you read the Bible, the old Testament is not really your jam. Anybody not old Testament, you avoid it probably. Yeah. I hear that all the time. Yeah, everybody is just like, the Old Testament is crazy. There's crazy stuff that happens. And so I'm just like, yeah, let's just go to Jesus. Jesus says some cool stuff, you know what I mean? And that's, all, that's good. That's good, too. Uh, but the, the really interesting thing here, especially as um, I hope that as you kind of grow in your faith, as you get a little deeper, that you can understand that basically in uh, the New Testament, especially with Jesus, when we get to him, like there's, he doesn't just like randomly, accidentally show up on the scene. Like the new, te- the Old Testament is laying the foundation and the groundwork for him to come. In fact, there's all sorts of books which we're not going to get into today. Prophecy that really uh, that get into that. And so uh, all this even lays back into what happens because of um, what God promises Abraham. And so we're actually going to read that. We're actually going to read a one quick verse. In Genesis, if you want to be with us there, you can. If not, it's okay. And then we're going to go to Judges. Uh, but um, but here's here's what it says. Let's see. Um, anybody got Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that they're willing to read for me? Loud for the whole group to hear. Does that sound like a plan? You said from where? Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The call of Abram? Yes. I can. You got it? Go ahead. The Lord had said to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. All right, so we talked a little bit about this last week. Um, if you were to try to take, take that and kind of break it down in your own language, like if somebody said, explain that to me, what, how would you describe it? What's your what's your kind of explanation that what God is saying to Abraham? Genesis 12, 1 through three, common language. Anybody? I'm on your side. I'm, I'm, your side. I'm with you. Uh, anybody else? Leave, leave everything you know, and I will bless you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is kind of pretty scary, right? Yeah, 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 yeah cause God, God's ba- God's basically saying, hey, you know how you're nice and comfortable right now? Yeah, leave all that. Yeah. And let, I'm going to take you somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where you're going to go, but we're, we're going to get there. It's going to be good. Trust me. You know what I mean? And so, which is basically the theme of the entire Bible, right? It's like, Jesus is like, no, don't worry about it. Sell everything you own. Come and follow me. And everybody's like, okay. You know, like, it's like, okay, let's see how this goes. So uh, one of the things that I think is incredible uh, about, again, getting us from the Old Testament to Judges all the way through even to Jesus' time, right? is when God is making this promise to Abraham, right? Uh, He basically goes on to say, hey, uh, through you, all nations are going to be blessed. You're going to be a blessed people. 
uh, that, you know, basically those who bless you, I'm going to bless those who curse you. I'm going to curse. He goes through this whole list and there's all sorts of promises that God makes to Abraham. And basically when we get down to it, when we ultimately look, the fulfillment of this is Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus Christ comes, he doesn't come just for uh, the, the Jewish people. It's, it's not just for the nation of Israel, but it's for everybody. It's for Jews and Gentiles. And so I think that that is uh, really, really awesome. So, okay, so we go from Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, right? So we go from Abraham, and then after we, uh, you, you go through, I think I've got, hold on, I've got to figure out how to have my computer and stuff going. Uh, nope, let's go back one. All right, so, no, actually, this one's where I want to be. All right, so I know this is a little bit, a little bit blurry, and so I apologize. I, by the way, if you all don't know, I forgot my computer, so I had to get a backup computer, and it's, 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 it's crazy. All right, so this is, uh, all right, what you're looking at right here, you can see it. You're looking at um, a genealogy chart starting at Noah. We start at Noah. Why? Flood. Everybody else was gone. All right, so you got Noah and my boys, three sons, Shem, Japheth, and Ham. Don't name your kids Ham or any other lunch meat. That's what we talked about last week. All right. So, uh, so anyway, we really talked about last week uh, how um, all, a, a, a lot of these people that we're going to read about just in a second in Judges are all, uh, not all of them, but lots of them are descendants of Ham. They're all interrelated. Obviously, this goes back to generations and generations and generations, right? But what we see is uh, we're going to kind of fast forward from Noah to Shem all the way down uh, once we get to uh, Terah, Abraham, all right? Father Abraham is where we are. We know that fa that Abraham ended up uh, having um, a son, Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob has multiple children. Out of Jacob's multiple children, that's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? Out of the 12 tribes, um, 12 tribes, you guys, we all know, if you've seen the cartoon version, you guys remember uh, the Prince of Egypt and Joseph the Cartoon. Anybody remember the cartoon version of Prince of Egypt? It's, it's back, it, that's like that's the show of my age. That's a little bit dated. That, we're like, this is the jam. You know what I mean? I but, remember the Sunday school felt. The yeah. felt, yes, yeah. yes, felt board. Yes, yeah. felt, felt yeah. Joseph. Here. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Joseph is one of the ones that he's the son that's one of the ones that's really talked about because he had the coat in many colors. He got a musical on Broadway out of it. It was a big hit for a lot of people. But uh, we know that with this, and uh, you kind of can't see all his sons. There's Joseph and Benjamin uh, down here. So we see the 12, uh, the 12. And if you remember uh, back in the story, okay, we get back into Genesis before we get into Exodus, that Joseph, sold into slavery, ends up in Egypt. When he ends up in Egypt, uh, starts out uh, as a servant, slave, ends up basically second man in charge over the whole nation of Egypt. He saves all of his brothers, all of their family, the nation of Israel, and whoever knows how many other people all around there because of the fact that God gave him some wisdom. He gave him the ability to kind of foresee what was going to happen, and he does an incredible job. We know, because you also remember uh, when you get to Moses, we get to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, let my people go, right? So when Joseph shows up on the scene, uh, Israel is not... They're not slaves. They're not anything. But because they grow so much, they basically become imprisoned. Uh, the Egyptian people uh, put them into servitude and slavery. And because of that, Moses shows up. He liberates the people. What do they do? They go out into the desert, right? We wander for 40 years. 
We wandered for 40 years because, anybody know, remember why we wandered for 40 years? Complaining. Huh? Complaining. Complaining, yeah. But complaining, complaining. Isn't that funny? Complaining could get you stuck for 40 years in the same thing, doing the same thing. There's a whole other message in that we're not going to talk about tonight. But, 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 but we see, right, because they're disobedient, they complain, they don't think they can do what God's told them to do, they get stuck. Out of 40 years, they wander because of Moses' disobedience. He doesn't get to go into the promised land, but the two of the 12 spies, which is uh, um, Joshua and Caleb, the only ones of their generation, they actually do. They get to go in. That is where we find the beginning of the book of Judges. Okay, At the beginning of Judges, Moses has just died. Joshua, who is not a spring chicken, is up there in age. He basically starts telling the 12. He says all of these 12. He says, guess what? You know, uh, Gad, you're going to go here. Asher, you're going to go here. Dan, you guys get to go here. He basically breaks up the 12 tribes into areas. And the areas that they go into, they're supposed to do what? If you were here last week, what are they supposed to do when they go into these areas? Conquer. Conquer. They've got to kick everybody else out. All right? That's the command of God. God says, listen, I'm going to give you the land, but guess what you got to do? you got to do some work. All right? I'm going to give it to you, but you still got to have a little bit of skin in the game. you got to go, and you got to kick the inhabitants out. And so that is where... Um, we get to, by the book, uh, by the time we get to Judges, chapter 1 and 2, really kind of deal with that. And so we're actually, I wanted to read, read to you today, we're going to start in Judges. Uh, all right, here's where we're going to start. We're going to start at Judges 2. I'm going to give you a couple scriptures, and then we're going to actually get into our first judge. And I'm hopefully going to teach you a few things that maybe you did not know tonight, uh, kind of going into this. Judges chapter 2, verse 1, it says, The angel of the Lord uh, went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I led you into the land that I swore that I would give to your forefathers. Abraham, okay? That's what he's saying. He says, out of this, he says, I said that I would never break my covenant with you, and you shall not break covenant with the people of this land. But you shall break down their altars, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And in verse 3, he says, Now, therefore, I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. But what are they going to do? They're going to become thorns in your side, and their gods will snare you. And now, if you jump over to verse 10, this is where we, we really ended up last week in verse 10. This is, uh, to me, this is just a really sad scripture. Uh, there, again, there's lots of sad scriptures, but this is one that kind of gets me. Because in verse 10, he says this, after that whole generation, okay, that had been gathered uh, to their fathers, in other words, they'd all died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, here's the incredible thing. We're not, we're not that far away by the time we get to verse 10. We're not that far away from the same people group that crossed uh, that crossed a river on dry land. We're not that far from, from, from a time when God was dropping quail and manna, uh, dropping bread for them to eat in the desert, right? We're not that far from it. We're, we're just two, we're two generations. That's all it is. It's two generations. In two generations, all of a sudden, nobody was doing really what God wanted them to do. And, and so we see that, that obviously God is, is really upset about this. 
And because of this, he says that the people that you're supposed to drive out, you're not doing what you're supposed to. So that means there's going to be some consequences to this. Now, in verse 16, here's what it says, okay? In verse 16 of chapter 2, Then the Lord said, uh, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. And I want to give you another little, let me find it real quick. Let me give it to you. If I can get my computer to work. Alright, alright, yep. Well, here, I'll, I'll show you this one. This is the other one we talked about last week. This one, uh, this is a great one. I think this was, Scott, is this the one you were Google searching, right? Yes. Yeah, this is the one. You can actually Google search this. I didn't make this. It's way too neat and legible if I made it. Uh, but um, what you see is you get the um, the 12, the 12 tribe by and the, the moms who, who raised them. You get some of the key figures, and, and then we see that the 12 territories get divided up. By the way, if you would notice, and if you read in the Old Testament, you see that Joseph, right? Joseph was one of the 12 sons, but you never see any reference to a tribe of Joseph, okay? Joseph received a double portion of blessing, right? And because of that, his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, actually inherit. So you'll see tribe, the tribe of Manasseh, you'll see the tribe of Ephraim, but not the tribe of Joseph. But basically, those two are Joseph's kids. They're his descendants. They're his ancestors in the way that this breaks down. Uh, it also will show you, and I'll, I'll show you this in the map form in just a second, how the 12 territories were split up between who was in the, in the west, who was in the east. And I think that that is actually the next kid. Yeah, here we go. Uh, so this, by the way, is uh, somewhat color-coded. Uh, you can also fairly easily find this if you wanted to search. This will help you to understand... Because remember, the judges are not kings, okay? So there's really, there's actually, there's only two judges. We'll talk about one of them tonight. There's only two judges that really helped to rule over, uh, that helped free Israel, uh, the nation of Israel from the whole area here, okay? All the other judges, you can actually see, are localized to certain regions. Because what's happening in these regions is they're getting attacked from outside forces. And it's only affecting you know, the north, or it's only affecting uh, the, the side over here once they cross the Jordan River, or they'll come up from the south, okay? So you'll, you'll see how that's all kind of broken down. Uh, does anybody have any questions about anything so far? You hanging with me? Okay, all right, hang with me, all right? I know it's, it's I'm, I'm trying to make sure I don't spend so much time on recap, we don't get, get anywhere. Um, all right, so here we get into the first judge. We're gonna be in Judges chapter three. We're gonna start in verse seven. And uh, here's what it says. And this is a common theme. This is a common scripture. You'll see this like 25 times in the book of Judges. Okay. Uh, it, the, Israel, uh, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served uh, Baal, uh, Baal and Asherah. And uh, so the anger of the Lord burned against Israel and he sold them into the hands of the Cush. I'm not even going to try to say the last name of the king there uh, because I'm too Sussex County to do that. All right. But here's what you basically find they get sold into slavery and out of our first one uh we have our first judge othniel othniel is how you say his name it took me a long time to practice making sure i didn't mess up othniel okay but we see othniel is the first judge that we find happen here uh the first judge othniel we really don't find a whole lot about him because basically we find that he uh uh 
the, the Israel was oppressed in, where Othniel was for eight years from an outside king. Othniel was raised up to do this. But before we go too far, I wanted to go give you some insight as far as the two gods, lower G gods, little, or little G gods, right, that is referenced here in Baal and Asher. Because you're going to see uh, there's a ton, a ton of scripture, not just in the book of Judges, but in the Old Testament, it, it is full of references to Baal and Asher. And have you ever read anything like that where you're like, they worship this other god, and you're like, who is this, like, what is this other god? Like, what does this mean? And so I, I want to take and kind of give you a background uh, in these really quickly. Okay, I'm not going to go super deep because this is not a theology lesson, but it, it just to, to a small extent is. But I want to trace for you uh, 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 some dots that are going to hopefully connect you. So you're going to see, I think you're going to see these gods, lower G gods, the reference to them in, in kind of a new light. When, I, when we kind of go through this. So here's what we find out about Baal and Asher, okay? Baal, okay, B-A-A-L, he is actually the most worshipped god of the Canaanites, okay? Canaanites are a constant group that you see referenced throughout scripture. It, it, he's the most common one, and he is most often referred to in the case of a bull. Hold on, bull, there we go, bull, all right? So the imagery of the bull actually references him. Now, you also will find, though, the interesting thing is that he represents uh, the strength and fertility. He's also very early on considered to be the god of agriculture. Okay? Does anybody have any guesses? Okay? And you can take a guess because it's just a guess. There's no, there is right or wrong answers, but this is just uh, for fun. Anybody want to take a guess at what you think ball means what do you think if you had to take a guess it's really not that complicated it's 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 very simple what is it lord that is one 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 is lord and the other one is if you take possession of something you become the owner so he breaks down that ball actually comes across and uh, it means either owner or lord He's also, in some writings, you'll find that he's the Lord of rain or dew. In fact, this is actually a site. This is in Syria. This, as far as I know, is still standing. There's lots of stuff happening over there, but as far as I know, I could tell this is still standing. This is actually a temple that was built to Baal that still exists. Okay? It's the only one that I could find that is still upright and erect. Okay? And, and one of the things we see here is that, uh, just to give you some background, because... I, Sometimes you wonder, like, how could these people, how could these people worship this other god? Especially, how could Israel fall for this? I mean, they see God do incredible miracles. How does this all happen? So, one of the things that we find with Baal is that it's typically worshipped and thought out that there was uh, seven-year cycles, almost like a seven-year, uh, like a battle that would happen every seven years. And in the battle that took place every seven years, if Baal won then we'd have a great seven years. It would rain, there'd be crops, everything would be hunky-dory, we'd be super excited. But if he didn't win, uh, he had a battle of Mott, M-O-T. And so if Mott would win, then guess what would happen? It would be seven years of drought and plague and all these things would happen and it would just be, uh, Mott was considered the god of the underworld. 
So seven years of plenty, or seven years of drought. You also will see the number seven obviously ties biblically in there a little bit to a certain extent. But it's interesting, and this is the part that I think to me kind of amazes me because you say, well, how does Ball tie in to like more present day stuff? Like how do we get from there to something that's not 4,000 years old? Well, there is actually tablets that kind of link the teaching and the worship of Baal between the Canaanites, right, all the way to the Egyptians, somewhere around 1400 uh, BCE. And then as we get, the lines actually get connected for, further because Baal also becomes adapted as a Babylonian god. And uh, Babylonian, they, they shorten it to Bel, B-E-L. And, and so out of the Babylonian gods, he ultimately, you, could, you can realistically connect the, god, uh, to connect the dots from Baal all the way to the Greek god of Zeus. Like, literally, because we, we got to remember, everybody, we all know language doesn't stay the same, right? Language changes over time, which is why you can grab a King James Bible and understand, like, 3% of it, right? Because nobody talks <laughs> like that no more, right? So if we know that language changes over time, we have to also understand, especially when we're talking about centuries, nomadic people, that the worship of gods and the religions and traditions would change over time too as people move. Because every time a group would move off and go away, then the traditions would slowly over time, they would change, right? They would become different. So to me, I just it, it, it's interesting to me that we can basically, you can draw a line from the Old Testament, really before Judges, right? And basically get that people are still had the same theology and ideology all the way up to the Greek and Roman gods. Like, that, that, the, 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 the line carries all the way across. And so now, if we take just a second, right, uh, to look at Asher. Now, if you look at Asher, Asher has many spellings in Scripture and in uh, historical context, right? There's lots of different ways to spell it. Asher also supposedly has a sister, uh, a sister deity, and out of the sister deity, uh, they're both spelled really, uh, really close. You got to watch because if not, you get them confused a little bit. But basically, um, the Greek word uh, that describes Asher has a Hebrew word that ultimately connotates uh, the meaning of shame. So the Hebrew people basically would say, like, hey, if you worship Asher then there's like this connotation of shame being brought down upon you for doing that. Now, anybody, if you've read any scripture, uh, especially Judges, anybody got to a point where maybe you've read Asher of one of the ways that they worshipped Asher? By the way, female goddess? goddess? Anybody remember? What is it? A little bit, some of that sometimes. But one of the interesting things that you see, especially in the book of Judges, that is a representation of Asher is a pole or a tree and they would literally i tried there is no really actual accurate um description or imagery to try to help us understand like when they talk about the pole of asher like what that means now we we don't know but uh let's see i I did find a couple images for you here uh that, that of course is supposed to be uh bowel or ball uh and then you also would find this is another uh visual representation of ball of uh, worship uh, idols that they found. There's lots of these idols that still exist uh, in museums all across the world. Uh, and this is supposed to be a representation of Asher uh, that was designed to Asher, obviously as a, a goddess, uh, she was tied and connected to the assimilation of, um, uh, of the sea, the ocean fishing, that kind of thing uh, as well. 
Asher can be tied to Hittite and Canaanite traditions, and she actually has lineages that trace her all the way back. And they're really not sure. They're, they're thinking really that Asher became kind of broken up into multiple identities of gods uh, in the Greco-Roman world of uh, Aphrodite, uh, um, Juno, and Artemis. And so we can see that, to me, again, maybe you, if you don't really care about how the ancient world and today's world connect, you might not really care about this. But to me, it just kind of blows my mind that for like thousands of years, okay, like not just like 100 years or 200 years, but thousands of years, basically, there was whole nations, whole regions of the world that all continued to worship some adaptation of the exact same God. And to me, I don't know, that, that just is an incredible thing and that you see tied through. I have a question. If you, you know, if you look at the lineage, so, you know, it started with Noah mm-hmm. and his sons. And obviously, he believed in God. He was God-fearing, and they were... How did all? How did they come to adopt these gods when God was their god? You know what I mean? It's, I'm confused it's, too. I like, how did this? It just seems so weird that so many people went the way of these false gods, mm-hmm. and you know, were Abraham's gods. So uh, yeah, yeah, no. Uh, well, I I think. That that is kind of the whole thing that that God really tries to describe in the beginning of Judges, because in the beginning of Judges, what is what does he what does he want them to do with the land? What's he want them to do? He wants them to what to the people that are there? He wants to kick them out. And and of course now a whole a whole nother debate could happen on like God is God for genocide, right? That we're not going to try to t- tackle that tonight, okay? That's that's a big conversation to have, right? But but the thing is, is God says, no, I need you to wipe these people out because if you don't wipe them out, if you move in with them and then you marry their daughters and your daughters marry their sons and the next thing you know, we see what kind of happens in our own world today, right? Uh, me and Chanel were talking, I don't know, uh, it's been a couple weeks, and she has, I don't remember if it's a friend or a family member, who one of them is Jewish, and the person they married is Hindu. Oh. And, of course, you're like, what? <laughs> like, those two really don't, like, you know, go together at all, really. You know what I mean? Not, I mean, not, not that most religions, honestly, do go together at all, but those two, like, are, it's, kind of, it, 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 it's kind, of feels, kind of feels like on the, on the on opposite sides of it. And to me, it's the same concept is if they, they moved in, no matter how much you tell your daughter not to go see that cute boy that she likes down the road because he doesn't worship the same God you do, what's she going to do? She's going to rebel, and she's going to go see that cute boy who worshiped that God because he's got a Corvette, and he looks cool when he drives down the road. You know what I mean? like, like, so, so for us, I, I think that's really the issue. Is like I think we, we can kind of see some of this in our own culture, but it's hard for us to imagine it in such an ancient context. Uh, when we kind of look back and we're trying to figure this out. And so that's where we see. So, uh, um, plus, yeah. Plus, if you look at the sons, Shem, uh, Shem Japheth, and Ham. Yeah. If you look at each one of those and you see the nations that came out of each one of those ones, that Ham was the one that looked upon Abraham's nakedness, right? Yeah. And a lot of that, Canaanites and all that stuff, the Hittites, were, came out of Ham. Yeah, they and came from his descendants. If you look at it, Shem was 
the lineage of everybody that loves the Lord, right? Yeah. Now, because if you look at it, you can break them three down, and you can see the different nations that came out of each one of those people. Now, one of the things that is a total, again, not to get into the weeds, and we're not trying to get it too in, in, in the depth, but like even, even to show the interesting part about God fulfilling his promises too, and this might blow your mind if you don't know this already, but so we read in Genesis, what did God tell Abraham he was going to do? He was going to do what? He's going to make him a great nation. He was going to bless him. Through him, everyone was going to be prospered, all this other stuff. And everyone would be blessed. Yeah, everybody's going to be blessed. And the incredible thing to that is, is we know that if we read scripture, that um, that for Abraham, that, that Isaac wasn't his firstborn son, was he? No. No. He he had Ishmael. he had he had Ishmael. And the interesting thing is, is guess what? And, and this is one of the things I think is so incredible about God. When God makes a covenant with somebody, he keeps the covenant. Even when we do all that we can possibly do to screw that up, and we do a mighty job sometimes trying to screw it up. But boy, when we when we try, because it's even that we see that you could trace back, uh, the nation of Islam actually traces its lineage roots back to Ishmael. And so out of Ishmael, but it's just, so think about it. But I mean, between between two Abraham's two sons, his, his his two sons, you get two of the what is currently today the world's biggest religions out of it. Really, I mean, actually three. Three. Three, really. Yeah. Judaism. Yeah. And you he, count. Both of them. he said that. Yeah. yeah. Be a great nation also. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so to me, that that's kind of like the incredible thing that even when, because Abraham screwed that up, yeah. like 100%. Like Abraham and Sarah just, they didn't have faith. They didn't believe. They screwed it up. God says, listen, you screwed it up. There's going to be consequences for it. You're not even going to be the one to deal with it. Your descendants, like so many other generations like down the road, they're years, going to be the ones yeah. to deal with it. But guess what? I said, I'm going to keep covenant with you. I'm going to keep covenant with you. And so there we get there. All right. So we get to our first judge, uh, uh, Othniel. And so we see that Israel was under servitude for eight years. Uh, then he was raised up. Uh, we actually find that this guy, he is actually kind of got some great uh, heritage and some great roots to him uh, by the fact that he is actually Caleb's uh, nephew. And so because of that, he's probably got a, a little bit of, uh, of some extra clout in, in the nation of Israel. But uh, would somebody be willing to read uh, chapter 3, verse 10 for me? Chapter 3, verses 10 out of Judges. Trying to the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Rishur. Yeah, Rishur, that's okay. Rishur, Aram and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So it's incredible to see that this has happened uh, a couple different times that you'll actually see this happen. This happens, I think, to three other judges where it literally has a special, Samson's one of the other ones, where it literally says that God basically came on them and anointed them with some type of special extra strength, ability, something extra, which is cool. Uh, to imagine that happen, what's even cooler is to know that that doesn't have to happen now because we have the Holy Spirit that comes to everybody. So, so you get it, and you get it, and you get it. Like God blesses you, and you, and you. So the, obviously we see, if you are, are looking here, you see that we don't really know much about our first judge. The only thing we know is they were subject for eight years under persecution. He comes. He gets the victory. 
the Spirit of God comes on him, and out of that, he gets. Um, we see that he has 40 years of basically peace that happens. Then we get to the second judge here. Um, the second judge uh, is Ehud, another awesome name for a kid. Somebody, I, I, w- I think I would, I would, uh, I don't know what I would do if somebody wants to name their kid Ehud. That would be awesome. That would be a great. That's a great name. Um, but what do we see in verse 12? What's it say? Verse 12, it says, once again, what did Israel do? They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so he basically hands them over uh, to Eglon, uh, king of Moab, uh, to Israel. And so, again, so here, just to give you, uh, okay, we got uh, Othniel is down here. Uh, and, and so, um, as you see, we've got Ehud in the middle here uh, as well. Ehud is one of the ones that actually has... Um, uh, he kind of helps unify everybody. We see that the Moabites, uh, the Amorites, and the Amicalites were in this. Uh, one of the things that you see, if I think it says on here, right? Yeah, yeah. So we got Moab here, okay? Uh, one of the things that is kind of a little bit difficult to, to understand, does anybody kind of, you know this, don't overthink it. Anybody know what all this is? What all this is? What the type of geography are we dealing with here? Deserty mountains. Deserty mountains. Okay. I was say sand. Yeah, sand. <laughs> lots and lots of sand that gets everywhere. Could yeah. you even fathom it? I couldn't even imagine. Like sand gets into all the places sand should never be in. Right. All the time. All the time. So what you find with a lot of these tribes is that they're actually, uh, with these people, is that they're actually nomadic people, right? So when we say Moab is here, but that doesn't mean like there, there's certainly going to be some 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 cities or you know some fortified areas for Moab, but for the most part, a lot of these places, they're, um, they're hurting, you know, and they're, they're moving. They're, they're constantly on, uh, on kind of the move because guess what they got to do? If you live in the desert, uh, you've probably seen movies or TV shows about this. You got to go where the water is. You got to go where the vegetation is because the vegetation is there, but it's only there for a certain time out of the year and all that kind of good stuff. So we see, uh, that because, uh, many of these tribes uh, were nomadic by nature. Uh, one of the things that happens with them is they become really good and notorious uh, raiders and fighters, right? Think about them basically as desert Vikings, right? They would just like they just would find us and find a group of people, go up, take what they wanted, kill whoever resisted them, and then roll out, and they could just kind of come and go as they please. And then we see that thing with Ehud here is in verse 15. Anybody want to read that for me? Verse 15. That's okay. If nobody does, I'll read it. But I'm Again, trying... the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Yep, Eglon, king of Moab there. And so we see, anybody, what's one of the best things that comes out of knowing anything about Ehud? What do we find out about him? He's a lefty. He's a lefty. Are you a lefty? You lefty? Two lefties? Three lefties? All right. All lefties know what? What do they, what do all lefties, my son's a lefty. What do we know about lefties? What's the one thing that the left person, a left-handed person complains about uh, just in general? What is the, what is the world not set up for? 
It's the right. It's a right-handed world. It's just since, let you since let. We were in pre-season, <laughs> our first set of scissors. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Or trying trying to trying to write and you're smearing all the ink. You know what I mean? As you go. As you go. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So one of the incredible things here is we see that Ehud is actually a left-hander. Uh, one of the things that we we kind of don't know uh, about Ehud, okay, this is kind of like some just some study of the character of who he is, is that uh, for Ehud uh, being left-handed, we we anticipate that because he was left-handed, uh, and not just, it doesn't say he was just left-handed by choice, but it, it basically indicates that there was something wrong with his right hand, like. Maybe it got hurt at some point in time. He didn't have it anymore. Or maybe uh, there's some sort of like birth, whatever. We, we don't really know what it is, if he was just disabled or, or what the case. But we see that he's left-handed. And like we said, everything is harder left-handed. We live in the right-handed world. And so, uh, uh, but the, the real kicker here is in ancient times, uh, especially according to the situation around your left-handedness, it was not considered to be a really uh, like a great omen or a great tell. You were not considered to be a blessed and highly favored person being a left-handed person because uh, it, it's just kind of considered this impairment. Uh, we see by verses 16 to 18 that he is in charge of basically presenting uh, the tribute, right? All the all the goods and services that they were due to owe the, the king that was oppressing them. Uh, and we see... Uh, that uh, Ehud decides to do something a little sneaky while he goes in. He takes a blade. By the way, if you want to know how big his blade is, his blade, he's got an 18-inch blade strapped to his thigh. Like he's got a mini sword strapped to his leg, okay? I would tear my leg. I'd be bleeding right to death. I'd kill my own self accidentally. <laughs> and so what we see is with Ehud, uh, and the reason Ehud's name is up here is because we see the Moabite king actually moves his... He actually moves his like kingdom, his throne, right, his capital over here towards uh, uh, Gilgal, where Jericho is, and uh, he actually crosses the Jordan River uh, in order to do this because he's basically taking that much territory. He's got that much space. Well, we see that Ehud decides to go visit the king. Remember, he's got this 18-inch blade strapped to his uh, right thigh. When he goes in. He decides to play cool. He decides to play slick. He kind of gives the king, listen, like, hey, man, I got a secret to tell you that only you can hear. It's your for your ears only, friend. And the king, uh, and one of the, here's one of the things, because you might ask the question, why, why would the king dismiss everybody out of the room with this person who's not one of his, like, who is his subject, but is his subject by oppression, Right? And so this is why one of the general thoughts that Ehud was not considered probably viewed as a threat, most likely because if he had something wrong with his arm, his right arm, you, you probably would be like, oh, this dude's just got a message from whatever, where he's coming from, right? So we see, I'm not going to go into all the gory graphic details too much, but he pulls out his 18-inch blade. He sticks it into said king, who, by the way, is described in scripture as like grotesquely Facts, okay? I don't know how fat you have to be to be described as grotesquely fat in scripture, but you gotta be pretty big, okay? Yeah, the 18 inch dagger is all the way in my man. And you can't tell. And according to which translation of scripture read, this is why y'all need to check out, like, you, you gotta, you gotta read the Bible. My, my man, my man is so fat, his fat swells up and eats the other hand of the handle to the point that Ehud cannot pull his sword back out, okay? That, like, that's how big my, my man was. So so Ehud 
uh, uh, it, there's one, I, I don't remember what translation it is, but basically talks, and, and again, I'm not trying to get too gross on y'all, because I don't know if you've ate dinner or not tonight yet, but I mean, like, it talks about his insides, some of his nasty insides coming on the outside, so it was just, it was gross, it was a mess, and so the interesting thing, and here's the why this all plays out, and why this is interesting, because Ehud, of course, he's like, uh, he's like, Score one for me. Gotcha, big boy. Okay, so Ehud goes over. He actually closes the door to the chamber from the inside and locks it. He actually basically flees over a balcony, uh, and he gets safely away. Well, meanwhile, obviously, this is the king, right? And the king's people come to check on him, and they're knocking on the door, and they're like, King, dude, you all right? And so they, 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 they probably noticed an odor. Because it says in scripture, they're like, well, he must have used, you know, the chamber pot to relieve himself. No, friend, that is just him. That, that is just his smell now. And so then after some time, we find out they bust the door down. And uh, one of the cool things that we see here is that um, as we, we find, uh, Ehud actually goes and uh, it, it's, it, it kind of sounds like this is well enough of a planned out because by the time he escapes, what's he do? He finds... Uh, troops. He rallies the troops. Uh, some of the troops from Israel. They go out to where uh, the Moabites are, right? Because remember, this is like uh, this is like a little um, little city that they fortified here. That he's made his little kingdom, right? He's made. He's got his throne room there, and he's chilling. He's hanging out. Well, by the time uh, by the time we find out that the king is dead, anybody can you imagine? Like, what happens anytime a monarch dies, especially in, in a situation like this? What do the subjects do? What do they do? Go crazy. They go crazy. They go bananas. They don't know because they don't know what to do, right? They don't know what to do. So basically, we find that the Moabites basically are, are doing a combination of fighting and fleeing, getting out of here as fast as possible. But Ehud is ready enough for this because guess what Ehud does? He basically brings all the guys, and as they're trying to get back across the Jordan River, they don't make it. Like it, like uh, Ehud and the army, they come. And they, they mow him down. And one of the things I think that is really cool uh, to see about this is, uh, and this is just like, there's so many great lessons that we find from the book of Judges. But one of the ones I think from this is like, we just see that like God uses everybody. Like to me, that's one of the cool things. So, so we don't know maybe Ehud's whole story as far as why he was left-handed or what happened to that, that, that the whole situation there. But God says, he doesn't care if you have an impairment or what you think. You know, we, Moses was a stutterer, you know. We, it doesn't make any difference. God says, I will promise you I can take what you think is a, an impairment. I'm going to put it into my will and something incredible is going to happen. And we see that out of this, uh, some, uh, some freedom happens for Israel. In fact, it says uh, in, in, uh, in ver verse 30 there out of chapter 3, that uh, the day Moab was made subject to Israel, the land had peace for 80 years. 80 years. So 80 years, all of a sudden, because Ehud uh, was a great left-handed swordsman with that 18-inch th thing strapped to his thigh, he was ready to go. And uh, we'll wrap up here uh, for tonight with, uh, with, with our third judge that we're going to talk about. And uh, I did have, and I'm going to ask you guys how you would feel about this, because... Uh, we get to our third guy, our third judge, Shamgar. My man, I feel a little bit bad for him, y'all. Okay, my man. You know how he made the Bible? One verse. One. My man made the Bible in one verse. He says, after Ehud uh, came Shamgar, son of Anath, who struck down six hundred Philistines with an ox goad. 
he too saved Israel. And you're like, and, and so I don't know about you, but when I get to heaven and after I found out the Bible was written and it was put down, I'd be like, really? God, I get one verse? Do you know how? I mean, do you know how hard it is to kill six hundred dudes? Like, and by the way, if you don't know, I wanted to to, to enlighten you all here tonight uh, with a picture. That that yeah. there it is. All right, there's actually another one here, another option. Uh, basically, it's a it's about an eight foot spear with a pointy stick with a hook on the end of it. So and so in in general, the way that this is thought to have worked. Uh, these still exist, by the way. People that uh, you, that actually uh, uh, use ox to to till uh, use stuff like this still. Uh, basically, one part of it's to poke the ox because if you've ever seen oxes, they're very big, <laughs> so they need a little bit of persuasion sometimes. So it's to pick, but it's also got the sharp hook because if you're tilling, uh, if you've ever tilled, especially uh, I've only done it once or twice in my whole life. It's horrible. I don't ever suggest anybody does this. But if you till anything by like with like a single plow. Uh, especially if it's a little bit wet outside, what happens? All that stuff wants to do what to your blade? Stick to it. So then you got your stick so you can sit there and you can stab it and clean it and you can get it all, all straightened out so you actually can continue uh, plowing and doing, doing your work. Um, so listen, I want to ask you if you could for uh, next week, uh, if you're able to be here, I want to encourage you uh, to read chapters 4 through 6. 4 through 6, uh, we are going to get in uh, to uh, to Deborah. Uh, Deborah has got a really cool story. Uh, Deborah, she is the bad woman of the book of Judges. So uh, I, I'd highly encourage you uh, to check that out. Uh, but before we kind of move on and we close up for tonight, does anybody have questions or uh, observations or, or even a funny statement? Yeah. That's your question. Yeah. First question is, so... God was not co-signing these these false gods, these people that were being worshipped, because he says only worship. You can't worship two gods, right? So Mm -hmm. these were like, God was not telling us to worship them. They were just false. Yeah, because basically what he says in the beginning, he says, because because you've been disobedient to me, these other people are going to stay there, and they're going to be like a thorn in your side. So basically... Uh, I could kind of equate this to saying, like, we, we all experience, and everybody's a little bit different in this, right? We all just in life have some general temptations, right? Uh, so for some people, um, it's consumerism, right? Or, or it's gluttony, or it's just, you know, wh- whatever it is, right? It's the temptation to kind of want to do it. So basically God's saying, listen, because you were disobedient, there's always going to be, there's these people around, that you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And these people are going to be tempting you. And so if you don't walk close to me, then guess what? You are going to find out that that's not the best decision, right? Because if you don't walk close to me, there's going to there's consequences to it. Because, again, I love you too much. I said this last week, and I don't know. This is the best the best example I've got, right? And, and I, I say this because I know I did this. I know when I was little, I stuck my finger in the electrical outlet, okay? <laughs> I know I did, right? But the, the question, when I, when I stick my finger in the electrical outlet, whose fault's that? Do I, get to blame my, do I get to blame my parents because my parents didn't stop me even though they told me not to and, and I decided to do it? No, it's me. And guess what? Because I do that, there's going to be some consequences. It's going to be the 120 volts radiating through my little body until I can peel myself away from it. And I realize how bad that stings. And so, unfortunately, this is what we see 
we see uh, the book of Judges is really, and the whole Bible in general, is just the thing that's saying, listen, God says, I love you so much. You have the option, option, but listen, don't be upset when the choices that you make end up with some bad consequences to them. They just, you, you know, uh, unfortunately, we have, to, we have to deal with this. But you have one more question before I rattle on. I don't want to sound crazy, so I, I don't know how to ask this. I, I'm just trying to understand. I've never read Judges myself, so mm-hmm. I'm really grateful for this class. I hope it goes on for like ever. Because <laughs> when you're reading the Bible, like right now I'm reading the Bible in order with a friend. Okay. It take me like years, but we're, we're committed. <laughs> and there's certain things, you know, obviously like the beginning that are just like, what just happened? But um, the, the, the killing people. <laughs> so God was like, he's okay with like killing people as long as that was because they were, he was getting them out of there. Yeah, and this I, I is no, 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 no. This is not a crazy. God was pro killing evil. Yeah. Like uh, okay, it was all eye for an eye. Yeah. Like if you kill, if you murder someone, you're going like yeah. he, he specifically says you're you're out. Okay, that's I'm <laughs> like, trying to like, you should yeah. be killed if you've killed someone. Yeah. And and this, to be totally honest with you, and the very question that you have right there is the reason, especially a lot of people who are like trying to figure out God and their faith walk, who get really confused and some get turned away by because they they can't they can't comprehend how the Old Testament God does this and New Testament God with who Jesus says this. And so uh, that's a bigger question than I can come up with a full complete answer for, for especially uh, for, for the few minutes tonight. But it, it just the interesting thing um, it, to to try to the best way I guess I could try to explain it is to, to think about this. So if we go all the way back to the very 